You're listening to 20,000 Hertz, the stories behind the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds. I'm Dallas Taylor. This is the story about how a primitive sound technology started a cultural phenomenon. Think about summers when you were a kid. The tick of a sprinkler, the creak of a swing, children laughing, the vaguely maudlin music of an ice cream truck. Or, if you're like me, and a child of the 80s, maybe you spent your summers indoors, fighting aliens, chasing ghosts, or stomping turtles. In the 1950s, computer programmers developed the first video games. They lived just in the labs, and not a lot of people had access to them. They were also incredibly simple, like almost not even related to the video games we have today simple. The earliest computer games were a simulation of chess, tic-tac-toe, and table tennis. And that table tennis game eventually led its way to Pong, the first commercially successful video game. It was developed by Atari and released into arcades in the early 70s. Shortly after, it made its way into the home. It had incredibly simple graphics and sound effects. These sounds were called 8-bit named for the 8-bit processors used in early video game systems. These systems produce the sound with computer chips. And one of the reasons 8-bit sounds are so distinctive is because they were limited to the sounds that were built into that chip. Composers and programmers only had that small palette to work with. And from such simple technology, some of the most iconic, generation-defining music and sounds were born. Released in the late 70s, the first Atari, the Atari 2600, started with nine launch titles, including Air-Sea Battle, Basic Math, Combat, and Starship. The unit, which came bundled with two joysticks, two paddle controls, and the game Combat was extremely expensive. In today's money, the system cost about $767, with the games ranging anywhere from $70 to $150. It's hard to look at these games now and see that the technology was state-of-the-art, but it was. And it was a really big deal to add sounds to graphics. The very beginning, we have, we have, oh my god, we actually have sound playback and it's a single beep from Pong. My name is Zachary Quarles, audio director and sound designer for Microsoft Game Studios. The Atari 2600 and its contemporaries all had sound chips. Sound was an integral part to the experience, The technology was limited, though, so the programmers had to get really creative. If you go back to the really early days, like the Atari 2600 and any of the systems from the late 1970s and even the really early 80s, the sound chips were, of course, extremely primitive. That's the voice of David Murray, otherwise known as the 8-bit guy online. In addition to creating sound effects, the actual game programmers would often kind of create some really simplistic tunes. I remember reading that even like the original opening theme for Pac-Man and whatnot was just something the programmers came up with. You know, I just think there's something to be said for having a sound that is not in any way attempting to imitate a real instrument, but is in its own right, its own synthetic sound. The sound chips had these things called voices and each one could only play one sound at a time. I'll let David explain it. I tend to 
use a choir as an example. I mean, as a human being with our voice, we can only produce one note. Uh, uh, there are some Mongolian throat singers out there who can produce more than one tone at a time, but you get the idea. Uh, if you wanted to have like a three note chord, you would need three human beings to do that because we can each only produce one voice. So it's kind of the same with a sound chip. They had a set number of voices that could produce sounds. I'll use the Commodore 64 as an example. It had three voices, so you could only produce, realistically, three notes simultaneously. Amazingly, programmers and composers got around these limitations by alternating the voices really, really quickly, making it seem like there were more than three. If you listen real carefully, there's never more than three at a time. It's unbelievable what game developers could achieve given these limitations. If you don't listen carefully, it's really hard to tell that there's only three voices happening at any given moment. Here's another example. This is from the game The Great Gianna Sisters on the Commodore 64. See if you can hear that the sounds quickly jump up and down to accommodate both the music and the sound effects. Other systems had uh, one voice, <laughs> and other systems had uh, many more than that. The tunes were often more catchy back then, more memorable. And I think because the sounds were a little bit more primitive, the musicians had to come up with more memorable and catchy tunes. Where today, they have so much technology that they can produce cool-sounding music, but it's not necessarily memorable. The limitations of early video game music helped inspire some of the most memorable sounds in video game history. The toolset was more limited, so composers had to use them in a more unique way. The next challenge was to actually get the sounds to play in the game. Find out how they did it, after the break. We're learning how composers were able to make iconic music with simple computer chips. Here's David again. They'd compose the music on a real keyboard and they would, I guess you could say, transcribe it over to the computer once they figured out what they wanted the tune to sound like. Basically, you're just giving the computer instructions. Then it would make the sound, becoming an instrument itself. It's actually synthesizing the notes every single time. What was really interesting about that is you could go from one machine to another and it didn't always sound exactly the same. With the Commodore 64, they had what they call the, the SID chip that produced the music. Different revisions of that chip that came out every few years, they changed things about it. If you were to take two machines running the exact same game, you could actually hear that the sound was a little bit different on each machine. Here's an example from an older machine. And on a newer machine. But even if it wasn't exactly consistent, it was a really good approach. Because having the computer play the sounds for you was the least CPU-intensive method because they had their own sound chip that was designed specifically to do that. And the only thing the CPU had to do was say, hey, sound chip, play 
this frequency of sound and hold it duration this long, etc. And then the CPU could go back to doing what it was supposed to be doing. Then, in the mid-80s... When you play the system with the most arcade hits, you're playing with power. The Nintendo Entertainment System. Now, you're playing with power. The big kind of shifts were when the NES came out. That's Zachary again. When sound quality started becoming prevalent for PC, when people were like, okay, so we can actually have film-esque quality that we can, we can say this is very representative of what other mediums are able to achieve. Not there yet by any stretch, but it was well on its way. I asked him, as a sound designer, what games influenced him the most? For my life, some very big keystone moments from an audio quality standpoint or iconic sound standpoint. Super Mario Brothers, Metroid, Legend of Zelda. Those three for me on the original NES were like, whoa, this is, this is actual theme and it's iconic sound design. Everyone knows what that coin pickup sound is. Well, in any of those games, you know, any of the item pickup sounds. You don't have to see anything on screen. You know exactly what it is. I guess nobody can forget Super Mario Brothers. The, the music to that is, <laughs> is very primitive. The Super Mario Brothers soundtrack on the Nintendo is, is one of the most primitive uh, pieces of, of music from a technological perspective, but it's also one of the most memorable. You just can't forget that music. Some of it could be just because people would play that game for hours and hours and hours on end, day after day after day, so maybe it just gets imprinted into the brain, but everybody remembers it one way or the other. I'm always playing games, I'm always playing different genres of games, I'm always listening to stuff, I'm always recording stuff, I'm always watching stuff. But I do come back to a lot of that old stuff to see how they were able to do so much with so little. The era of 8-bit sounded music was a time of intense creativity, born out of extreme limitation. And there's a reason why these sounds are still so iconic today. What early programmers and composers lacked in technology, they made up for with some of the most memorable sounds in history. Today, decades after those early sounds were created, they're still just as vivid as the first time we heard them. They even inspired a whole movement in music called chiptune, a nod to that little chip with such a bright future. Some musical artists have based their entire sound around 8-bit. One thing is for sure, this innovation has permeated our culture and made a lasting mark on the future. Twenty Thousand Hertz is produced out of the studios of DeFacto Sound, a sound design team dedicated to making television, film, and games sound incredible. Find out more at defactosound.com. This episode was produced by Mylan Fitzwater Barrows and me, Dallas Taylor, with help from Sam Sneebly and Colin Devarney. Colin also sound designed and mixed this episode, and was the voice trying his best to sing more than one note at a time. He's sorry you had to listen to that. Thanks to David Murray, the 8-Bit Guy on YouTube, and Zachary Quarles for taking the time to chat with us. A huge thanks goes out to Beta to the Max for letting us use the track you're hearing right now. It's called Glossolalia. I'm a huge fan, and I highly recommend you check out their other music. They have two awesome albums full of nostalgic goodness. You can buy them on Bandcamp or iTunes. 
Finally, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, leave a review, tell a friend, or drop us a note at hi at 20k.org. Thanks for listening.